The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A man visits his neighbor one day, and that's just the beginning of a mystery. Has China developed a drug that is so addictive you can't live without it? And then we travel to Roswell, New Mexico, a very famous location if you're a fan of UFOs and aliens. But an interesting theory has popped up. Is it possible the craft wasn't from another planet? That it didn't contain gray aliens, but instead contained the bodies of handicapped Russian children? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover. So much stuff. We're just going to jump right into it. Whee! Let's go. Let's get started. Come on. Get up. Get up. Let's go. Okay, there you go. Wanted to see you moving. First off, let's hop into Jason Jalopy. We're headed to David, Kentucky. December 23rd, 2019. Two days before Christmas. One day before Christmas Eve, December 23rd, 2019. It's a cold, wintry day in David, Kentucky. And a dude wakes up one morning and goes, I'm going to go see what my neighbor's up to. So I'm going to go walk over there. His wife's like, you don't have to announce everything you're going to do. I'm getting up out of this chair right now. And I'm going to open the door and leave. And the wife's like, oh my god, why am I still with this guy? So our neighbor, we'll just call him David. He doesn't have a name. David of David, Kentucky, walks out of the house. I am now stepping off the porch, he yells to his wife as she's filing for a divorce. He begins walking across the yard to visit his neighbor. Now his neighbor, Jonathan Watkins. Jonathan Watkins, 38 years old. Not to be... Not to be confused with Jonathan Winters, which none of you did, because not only do those names not sound alike, most of you don't know who Jonathan Winters is. But if you do know who Jonathan Winters is, imagine the rest of the story. Imagine Jonathan Watkins as a 400-pound baby, because that's basically who Jonathan Winters was. Imagine a fatter version of that guy. (laughs) Okay, that doesn't work either. Who is that guy? Louie Anderson. Imagine a fatter older Louis Anderson, if you want to... <laughs> like, I don't even know who Louis Anderson is. I'm not as old as you are, Jason. Well, anyways, go look those up. Pause the podcast. Go look up a photo of Jonathan Winters dressed as a baby. Come back, and then we'll get started. Okay, you did that. I trust you guys did that. So, David, hey, Jonathan, I want to see what's up. And the door opens up. And Jonathan Watkins standing there, 400-pound human baby, covered in blood. Hmm, David thinks. This is odd. Normally, people aren't covered in blood until much later in the day. Hmm, mystery is afoot. And the neighbor asks Jonathan, hey, what have you been up to? And this is the quote. This is what Jonathan actually said to his neighbor. I've been skinning dogs. Hmm, 
David thinks to himself, interesting. But that can't be true. Despite the fact that he's covered in blood, which is oddly suspicious, I don't think he's been telling the truth. Because this is actually from the article that I got. This is from the Courier Journal. An article written in the Courier Journal. This phrase appears, this might be one of the best sentences that I've seen in a long time. Here's this quote from the article. The neighbor told police that he did not believe Watkins because of past mental illnesses. So basically, David is looking at a blood-covered 400-pound human baby who admits he's been skinning dogs. And David goes, hmm, you know, if an other rational person had told me that, I would believe that story and I would call the cops immediately. But because you have a history of mental illness, I think you're lying to me, sir. Good day, liar, you fabricator of facts. David leaves. Now, as David's leaving the porch, he's like, hmm, so he is covered in blood, but I, because of his history of mental illness... I think he's lying. I don't think he's been skinning dogs. And as David's leaving the porch, he looks over and he sees on the deck animal skins. Aha! A clue, he thinks to himself. Interesting. Another piece of this puzzle. Maybe those skins were there when he purchased the house and he just has... He's cut himself very deeply, right? David, again, just goes home at this point. Doesn't call the police. Doesn't call the police. Man admits to skinning an animal, covered in blood. Animal skins on his porch. Goes home. And then he's sitting there and he has his feet. I'm propping my feet up on the chair, he announces loudly into his living room. His wife's suitcases are ready to go right out the door. And then he goes, oh, you know what would make this day even better? Forget the mystery. Forget the bloody man next door. The animal skins. You know what would make this day even better? Hanging out with my two dogs. Rusty! Coco, he yells off. Rusty, Coco, that's two separate dogs. And honestly, I don't know. It's not the dogs not named Rusty Coco. And I don't know what the actual names of the dogs are. And I think it's kind of moot at this point because we, we you should see what's going on. And I'm sorry to start the episode off of this story. But Rusty starts walking around. Coco, Rusty Coco. And his dogs are gone. And he goes, hmm, let me get out my pipe. Let me get out my Sherlock Holmes hat. Hmm. So let me put together the clues today. The blue, the blues clues. Let me go back. Me and Steve are going to go back with these blues clues. First off, my neighbor is covered in blood. Secondly, he said he's been skinning animals. But we have to disregard that because he's insane. Hmm. I found two animal carcasses on his porch. And now my dogs are missing. Hmm. So he sits there for a while, and then he goes, I, you know, I, I should call the cops. I really should call the cops. Cops go over to Homeboy's house. Open up. Open up, sir. Jonathan Watkins opens the door, still covered in blood, this time holding a knife. Police are like, whoa, whoa, what's going on, dude? And he says, quote, I'm making myself a doggy coat. They know he has a history of mental illness as well, but they, they arrest him. And David, the neighbor, is looking out the window, and he's like, hmm, I wonder why the police are there. I wonder what could be going on. Rusty Coco. So that is the story of Jonathan Watkins, 400-pound human bloody baby who killed dogs, allegedly. Again, maybe the dogs had heart attacks at the same time. Anyways, he was making a doggy coat. So that's that story. There you go. That's that's a good way to... <laughs> I realized the other day, I go, I bill this as a true crime podcast. Paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime. 
And I realized this the other day when I was doing the story about the guy injecting stuff into his testicles in the middle of McDonald's. I thought, this isn't what people think of when they think of true crime. When people think of a true crime podcast, they think of serial killers and and murderers and stuff like that. Not vagrants exposing themselves in public and injecting drugs into their testicles. Not people making doggy coats. Not any of the other weird things I've covered. But honestly, I kind of like this true crime stuff better. Because the murder stuff just kind of gets old, unless it's super weird. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story, though. Now, our next story is actually a request. So we're leaving behind David. We're leaving behind David, Kentucky. We're going to buy him puppies, though. Here you go. We're actually going to buy him puppies with the money we get from our Patreon. Because this next story is actually a request from a Patreon user. So Lori sent me this story. And Lori, we're going to use our money from Patreon to give him two little puppies. Here you go. And he's like, oh, yes. Two little coats. I'm like, what? And he was in on it. What if he was the mastermind the whole time? He's like, yes, evildoer. I know you're making those coats. He's like, but master, you're the one who sells them online. And he's like, that guy's obviously mentally ill. Cops are arresting him. Don't worry, officers. I'll dispose of this evidence. His eyes shifting from side to side. Hmm. He goes down to his basement. He's sewing it together. You want something done, you got to do it yourself. An entire basement full of dog skins, and then in the corner, his wife's skin as well. Leave me, will you? Leave me? (laughs) Apparently, he became the crypt keeper. Apparently, this anonymous man whose neighbor, in real life, killed and skinned dogs, is now the most evil villain in the story. The camera pans out of his basement window, goes up into the clouds, credits roll. For this fictional story I just made up. And anyways, we're headed off to China. Now, and this has nothing to do with coronavirus. I'm not talking about coronavirus. But this was a request from a Patreon user, Lori. I just want to make sure that I say that. Because that kind of might have gotten lost in my fictional world there. So really, really thank you for the Patreon support. If you want to support the Patreon, it's in the show notes. If you can't support the Patreon, just help get the word out about the show. That really helps a lot. Supposedly, there's a new drug. Right? So we're in China, and there's a factory. No one's working there right now. They're, they're all sick. This conspiracy has kind of been waylaid by what's going on over there right now. So we go into a factory, and it's completely empty. People, there's, <laughs> The bodies are stacked 10 dead on the factory floor. But that's not because of the coronavirus. That's just because it was a sweatshop. But also now they're stacked 12 dead, because there's also people dying of the flu. In this factory, these little vials... Going down an assembly line. This chemical is known as DYXJU. Now, the reason why we know about this chemical is from John McAfee, inventor of antivirus software. I don't know if he invented it or if he's just the guy, the marketing dude. He might be the Pillsbury Doughboy of the virus software. I have no idea. The only thing I know about John McAfee is that He believes in quantum suicide to the point that he put a loaded revolver to his brain in front of a reporter, pulled the trigger, and he goes, in another reality, my brain's blew out, but in this reality, I'm still alive. Whatever. And he is alleged to have killed a man. Killed his neighbor, actually. Maybe his neighbor was making too many doggy coats. But that's not what we're going to talk about here. You can look all that. (laughs) You're like, I want to hear about that. No, you don't. It's kind of of lame. But that's all just, he's just a weird guy. So when he tweets this thing, about DYXJU, 
it's kind of par for the course for John, good old Johnny. Here's this tweet that he had. The Chinese government has created a revolutionary drug called DYXJU. It has absolutely zero effects on physiology or consciousness. Well, that's kind of a lame drug. You're like, dude, let's go and do this drug that does nothing, absolutely nothing to us. Yeah, man. I can't wait to just sit there and think normal thoughts. It has absolutely zero effects on physiology or consciousness. Do any drugs have effect on a physiology? Like, do you take a drug and you turn blue? Like, aren't they all conscious? I guess, like, cocaine makes your heart race. That's not a good one, though. It has absolutely zero effects on physiology or consciousness. People behave normally. It has zero side effects except one. Once ingested, the urge to re-ingest approximately 24 hours later becomes extreme. For those who asked, what's the point? Imagine a government that could control a population using drugs. Been done before. That, those are, that's his aside, his little parentheses. Let me go back to this. Imagine a government that could control a population using drugs. Been done before. Without having to deal with the side effects or changes in society brought on by the drugs. That drug could be the most valuable substance on earth. So obviously it's a couple different questions here. One, how did he find out about this? Now he's supposedly like maybe like more enlightened than the rest of us. He's definitely richer than a lot of us. Maybe he has access to this stuff. Whistleblower sent it to him. He's getting this info fed to him from somewhere. He uncovered it himself. He was on some mission. He was looking for more neighbors to murder. He's like, hmm, I think I have some neighbors in China. Kicks down a door. And it turns out that they're really making this stuff. So that was his tweet, though, right? Regardless of where he got the information from, he's definitely revealing this to us to let us know about DYXJ. Now, I'm looking around and other people are going, whoa, dude, this is, like, trippy because those Chinese, man, they're going to, like, take us all over and they will use this drug to do it. You know, slip it in our water supply or just give it to us willingly and tell us it's something cool and then we're addicted to it. Government will control us. And there, I, I, you know, as I was doing my research, I was looking all over for this stuff, I came across a website called, it was an outdoor website called 24-Hour Campfire. It's always weird to me how mainstream conspiracy theories have become. Because when I was reading them, they weren't cool at all back when I was like 12. And I got into all this stuff a long time ago, like in the 1980s. It was real underground stuff. And now a website dedicated to like camping gear and, and backpacks and stuff like that is talking about this. Now, I guess they probably have a survival contingent on that website, but still it's odd. I've come across ghost stories on motorcycle forums. We talked about that a long time ago. Or is drifting, drifting forums. It just everyone kind of loves talking about this stuff. This website... Um, 24-Hour Campfire has a user named Jeff A, and he broke the code. He broke through the Chinese conspiracy. And if you're listening to this at work, turn it down or put your headphones on, because I'm going to have to use some profanity, which I rarely do on this show, because I listen to podcasts at work, and I hate it when... That's why I don't really use a lot of profanity on the show. I listen to podcasts at work myself, and I like to listen to podcasts that don't necessarily always need headphones. So here we go. D-Y-X-J-U. This is what Jeff A. pointed out. D-Y-X-J-U. If you shift to the right for each of those letters, D is F, Y is U, X is C, J is K. Fuck you. And and then you can be I, but I think that it, it, then it's just fuck I. But basically it's fuck you. And then it's basically revealed to be a troll. 
So the people on the campfire forum, like the thread's going pretty well, and then that release, and people are like, oh, yeah, look at me, look how dumb I am that I thought that this was actually real. People started then posting that on Twitter. They're like, dude, it's a troll, obviously. Someone gave this information. It's an acronym. It's a little code. It says, fuck you. It's not a big deal. Now, generally, I've been proven wrong, proven wrong on this show. Like, people have said what you reported, not disputed. People have said what you reported was actually an internet hoax, and here's the article proving it. And I've issued corrections and go, oh, yeah, it was an internet hoax, and that's part of the problem. John McCaffrey, and that's what you should do. You get caught out, you just get caught out. I put out 388 episodes. If 10 of them are provably false, not because I was lying, but because the information I was given was wrong, who cares? Or, you know, 20 or 30 or whatever. Anyways, John McAfee gets called out on this, and then this is his tweet. Of course. The full name of the drug shifted right one key is fuck you. Okay, you're admitting to it. No, he goes on. An accident? I think not. We don't think it's an accident, John. We think it's actually a troll. It's a troll on purpose. But anyways, he continues. An accident? I think not. The Chinese are coming. Soon. Eat no... Ch- this 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 is not a joke. These, I'm not making this next two sentences he actually wrote in public. Eat no Chinese food. Okay, you know, that's fine. No fortune cookies. What? What's wrong? Fortune cookies aren't... I don't even think they're traditionally Chinese. No Sing Tao beer. I don't even know. How am I supposed to not drink something I didn't even know existed? Fine. Done and done. I don't even know what that is. And then, and no, cunnilingus with Chinese women. Is that how this is spread? Like, why those particular things? Like, I can understand they're putting, they may be putting it in their food. I don't know how they're putting a liquid into a fortune cookie. It might be the driest thing ever constructed. Sing Tao beer, sure. Don't know what it is. Never even knew it existed. I promise you I'll never drink it. Maybe they're putting it in the drinks. And no cunnilingus with Chinese women. The only way it could get into the woman's system is if she took it herself. So, are they already on this drug? And also, now that I think about it, okay, but is John saying it's cool to just blow a bunch of Chinese dudes? Like, oh, no, no, you can totally do that. Meet Jet Li, take him in the bathroom. Blow him to your heart's content. But nuh-uh, not with those women. Mm-mm-mm. So, anyways... He's obviously a lunatic, allegedly. And a lot of people pointed this out. There's a lot of substances like DYXJU on the market. It's called food and water. Like, it has no real effect on you or your consciousness, but you need it every 24 hours. The the need to reconsume food and water every 24 hours is great. And governments can control you by limiting those. So... I really appreciated the recommendation, Lori. I thought it was an interesting journey because, yeah, at first you're like, hmm, this seems like some weirdo conspiracy thing. And then in the end, you're like, oh, it's just one weirdo conspiracy guy spouting something off that probably maybe 10% of the people who read everything still believe that the Chinese government have created this drug that will turn you into a drug addict zombie? You're just basically a normal person. You just want it every day, which food, water, and sex. It's it's basically that, but in a water form. Apparently, one of the transmission vectors of it is going down on Chinese women. The whole thing's absolutely bizarre. So appreciate the recommendation because I love reading bizarre stuff. So let's go ahead and move on to our last story here. And our last story is kind of short. It's actually interesting because... For the implications of it, there's really not a lot 
of information to back it up. It was extremely controversial when it was released. So there's this author journalist named Annie Jacobson. She specializes in writing books about secret groups, not like secret groups like Illuminati, like actual government-funded secret groups. She's had books about the Operation Paperclip where the U.S. government brought Nazis over, changed their identities because we wanted them for the rocket program. That's pretty common knowledge. But she has books about CIA paramilitary armies. She has a book about um, the government looking into psychokinesis. These aren't super unknown conspiracy theories, but she tends to focus on the government side, DARPA, secret stuff that's going on. Now, she wrote a book called Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. Getting the history of this place that supposedly doesn't exist. For the longest time, the government refused to even acknowledge it existed. But now they'll acknowledge it exists. They don't acknowledge what goes on there. So she's doing this book. And in the book, she's detailing the history of the base, right? But then the last seven pages of the book is about Roswell. It was a bombshell when it came out, and it almost immediately got swept under the rug. So let's go ahead and take a look at these last seven pages. We are actually taking the Carpenter Copter. We are going to land in Roswell, New Mexico, and we are going to watch the crashing of the alien craft in this desert. Skipping across the ground. Smoke pouring out of this disc. Come on, guys. Let's go see some grays. We're running. We're running through the desert with our flashlights, our pitchforks. We have those two just in case they're still alive. We're going to stab them. We're going to stab these aliens. We get there. We get to the crash disc door. I'm trying to open and I use my immense strength. Pull it open. You guys are all amazed. A couple of you are turned on. I'm like, no time to be attracted to me. You save that for later. Let's go. And we go into the disc. And and there we see the three famous gray alien corpses. Just laying there. And I'm like, no. I wanted to kill you myself. Military shows up. Helicopters. And they go. They pull the bodies out. Take them to the lab. One of them gets autopsy for Fox's alien autopsy in the future. So on and so forth. You know the basic story of Roswell. Turns out none of that stuff's true, by the way. I found out while researching... That's how I always thought the story of Roswell happened. It turns out that apparently some dude was just walking by his ranch on June 14th and saw a bunch of debris and didn't think anything of it. There was nothing spectacular about all the garbage he saw in this field. His name was William Brazel. June 14th, 1947, he sees this. He goes, he leaves. It's not until July 4th that he goes back to the area for whatever reason, for work, and goes, you know what, I'm going to put some of the stuff aside. He drags some of the debris to be underneath a bush and to kind of like hide it because he's still like, ah, it's nothing. He starts hearing stories about flying saucers in the media. And then either June 6th or June 7th, he calls up the authorities, calls up law enforcement, and says, I've been reading about them flying saucers, and I there's some weird debris out in Roswell. So then they go out there. And then July 9th is when the first article is written about it on the Roswell Daily Record local newspaper. And in that article, they're like, it was a balloon. 
It was a balloon. Like, if you read the Roswell Daily Record article that was written, the, the closest report to it was not spectacular in any sort of way. They really explain in the... I could read you the quote. I'm not going to, but I'll read you this part. When the debris, when the debris was gathered up, the tinfoil paper, tape, and sticks made a bundle about three feet long and seven to eight inches thick, while the rubber made a bundle about 18 or 20 inches long and about eight inches thick. In all, he estimated the entire lot would have weighed maybe five pounds. There was no sign of any metal in the area, which might have been used for an engine, and no sign of any propellers of any kind, although at least one paper fin had been glued on to some sort of tinfoil. So that is being written on July 9th, 1947. So I have no idea where all these stories of flying discs and alien body... I mean, it's pre- it seems to be pretty obvious that what was found out there was a bunch of <laughs> tinfoil paper and tape. But whatever, whatever. Let's assume the traditional thing, because even Annie Jacobson's story assumes it's more than that initial report in the Roswell Daily Record. That a disc did crash in Roswell. But while the military, the story's already out, so now we're back into how people believe Roswell happened. The story's out. People have already believed that a flying saucer has crashed. And actually, the story didn't really become famous until the 70s. Again, there was huge time difference between when it actually happened and when people actually started paying attention to Roswell as an event. It was a long period of time. You might have had one or two people really into it, maybe four or five. The numbers don't matter. What I'm saying is as a national thing, as like a linchpin in the UFO story, that didn't start until decades later. So, anyways... Let's buy the let's let's pretend that the myth is the fact the saucer crashes, the military retrieves these bodies, and they're autopsying them, and they realize, whoa, these are definitely they don't look human. They're big old heads and tiny little bodies and all sorts of stuff. But doing an autopsy, they are definitely they are definitely, definitely human. Cause this is the theory. That's put out in Annie Jacobson's book in the last seven pages of a book that other than these last seven pages was just a history book of a base. Then it goes off into this weird thing. Stalin did not have a nuclear bomb in 1947. And Stalin realized that he needed to do something. He needed to do something now and he he needed to do something super, super weird. He wanted to scare Americans. So he takes a bunch of deformed Russian kids, right? Possibly, this is, it's so weird that this is all kind of just crammed in this conspiracy theory. Stalin, Joseph Stalin, leader of the Soviet Union, takes some deformed Russian kids, possibly designed by Joseph Mengele himself, the angel of death, the Nazi doctor who was doing all that horrible stuff in the concentration camps. He was taking Russian kids and deforming them, making them look gross and all grody and stuff like that and then put them in a flying saucer. And you're like, Jason, wait a second, wait. So Stalin doesn't have nukes, but he has flying saucers. Well, kind of. So apparently the saucer was remote controlled. And you're like, okay, Jason, this is even dumber. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There was a Russian asset in New Mexico flying a saucer around with a remote control full of three disabled kids, right? And then they crash it into the ground. And then the military shows up, and they're like, oh no, it's aliens, it's an alien invasion. Now apparently, this wasn't the only UFO. There are other UFOs floating around America. This one crashed, 
They weren't supposed to crash. They were supposed to just fly around and eventually maybe land and all the kids get out and like go to McDonald's. And then people are like, oh my god, aliens are invading McDonald's. But this one crashed. Who knows what happened to the other one? Who knows if any of this is real, right? But apparently the CIA was talking to the National Security Council. The CIA got a lead on something. And there was a real fear that the Soviet Union was going to use Americans' obsession and fear of flying saucers. Because, see, flying saucers were big back then. The Roswell event wasn't connected to them yet on a national scale. But flying saucers were in vogue. And they, free your mind, they... The CIA was afraid that the Soviet Union was going to use saucers to either make Americans scared or... We're going to use flying saucers to overwhelm early warning systems. People would be calling up phone lines. Servicemen would be seeing all these flying saucers flying around. And when everyone was trying to figure out what to do then, you'd have bombers and and they didn't have nukes, but you'd have like bombers and jets and all that stuff flying around. So she says this in her book and it's immediately lambasted. They're like, so much of the story doesn't make sense. And It's all single source. This part of the story is all single sourced from someone who worked at Area 51. But at the end of the... It is ridiculous because I don't know how good remote controls were back then. I think it would have been easier to fly a plane and use these things as gliders to trail. Like you launch them like you have a glider plane. It just flies for a couple miles and then crashes somewhere. And you would have a bunch of deformed kids' bodies hanging out of stuff. It would panic people. At the very least, you'd be like, Russia really has that deformed kid technology on lock. They can do that in a heartbeat. America, we're 50 years behind deforming children. Get on it, scientists. You could have done that. I think that'd be easier. But maybe the Soviet Union, they didn't have nukes, so they spent all their money at Radio Shack buying all of these RC units. Who knows? Who knows? The point is, is that really this scenario is... Okay, I know this scenario is more realistic than a vehicle being built for interstellar travel passing around meteor showers and supernovas and and galactus trying to eat it traveling the cosmos more than a solar system away alpha centauri at the at the least and then comes earth and and they're like whoa and they crash like that's stupid like that whole scenario is dumb i think the most likely scenario and i've talked about this before is that aliens are already here that they're coming from within the planet or from underwater, that they've been here as long as we have been or longer. That's the most likely scenario. Them co- Or them coming from Mars or Venus is far more likely than them coming from Alpha Centauri or Sirius or anything like that. Or they're interdimensional. But again, an interdimensional craft that can pierce the veil but then can't pierce New Mexican sand is kind of, a, kind of lame. That story doesn't wash either. Anyways, so when you take away, unless the aliens are from here, and that ship came out of the water, and then they just had a malfunction and crash, it would be more likely, and really, if you look at it from a skeptic's point of view, the Stalin theory is far more likely, because it doesn't involve any sort of technology that exists in science fiction, or any sort of species that exists in science fiction. It's just a cruel, brutal dictator, his country that already had a bunch of economic problems trying to build something that could fly and scare people but they couldn't even do that it crashed into the ground and a bunch of bodies fell out of it that's far more rational than gray aliens that from another reality or planet or solar system just on its face and i'll say this 
honestly, I think that's scarier. I think that's a lot scarier. Tell me what's what's more frightening to you. A species from another solar system that may occasionally show up here, float around, abduct a couple people, and go home. Or the enemy being the people next to you. David in Kentucky, his enemy was the dog-skinning neighbor. If the dog-skinning neighbor lived in New Zealand, you would read about it and be like, oh, that sucks, but it doesn't affect you. And maybe that dog-skinning neighbor eventually travels to David, Kentucky, and goes and buys some popcorn and sees like some hot dog walking down the street and takes that dog back to New Zealand. Terrifying. But not as scary as living in the neighborhood. The idea of governments doing this is scarier than aliens. And this is why. One. You have, because obviously the Soviet Union is still, obviously we still have UFO encounters and abduction encounters, but the Soviet Union's not around anymore. So you would have other governments doing this, most likely CIA, US government doing these things. You would have them not only with this equipment. I'm not saying they have the ability to like fly around super fast and teleport. I'm saying what, how UFOs are described. And so they have this technology that mimics sci-fi, but it's completely understandable. It's not free energy. It's not anti-grav. It's some sort of device that actually is legit, but appears like a magician's trick, appears to be paranormal. You have the U.S. government abducting people. You have the U.S. government taking cows and, and cutting them up and dropping them off. To make us afraid. And they have them doing it all over the planet. You have CIA operations all over the planet. They didn't get scared of Stalin. They didn't let Stalin's plan override our early warning systems. They learned from this plan. They perfected this plan. And so those gray aliens that are reported sneaking around in people's bedrooms. Those gray aliens that people see when they're abducted aboard these ships. And see three or four aliens walking around a lot of times described as being robotic. They're deformed children, perfected to a point where they don't just look like three raggedy old bodies, but children that are taken and reconstructed to look like creatures from another world. They've been working on this technology for over 50 years, and it's been perfected now. That, to me, is more terrifying than aliens coming from another planet. With that, when you read these stories about greys, they're actually human children, lobotomized and transformed into these things. Far more terrifying. Because apparently there's a lot of them. And around the world, every year, a lot of kids go missing and are never found. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.